For a year, the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service has been conducting a listening tour, hearing from people about ways to boost interest and participation in many forms of public service. Now the comment period is about to end, and for what comes next, Commission Chairman and former Congressman Joe Heck. Joe, good to have you back. Hey, Tom, good to be with you. What happens now? You are going to have your final listening session, and where will that be, and what's the deadline? As you know, uh, the first year of the commission, we went on a listening tour all around the country, traveled uh, to all nine census districts, 15 states, 24 cities, over 300 organizations to listen and learn about ways to encourage and inspire more Americans to serve. That resulted in our interim report, which we released this past January. Subsequent to that, we formulated potential policy recommendations back to the President, Congress, and the American people on how to actually inspire more Americans to serve. We then took those proposed policy recommendations and went on another tour where we conducted 14 public hearings and released eight staff memos. Those public hearings uh, had witnesses that were subject matter experts. Uh, We allowed for uh, public comment from those in attendance at the end of each period uh, to actually give us feedback on what the commission thought might be reasonable policy recommendations to put into our final report. Part of collecting that input was also a public comment period announced through the Federal Register, which closes December 31st. So there's still time uh, for listeners who want to weigh in on any of the topics uh, to provide their input uh, via our website, which is inspire number two serve.gov. And there they can provide feedback on any of our proposed policy recommendations, which are listed on the website. Once we finish uh, collecting all data, uh, we will then hold a final series of meetings with the commissioners to determine exactly which policy recommendations we will put forward. And those will uh, debut in our final report, which is currently scheduled to be released in March of 2020. What are some of the things that you'll be considering for policy recommendations? What's the range of ideas you've been hearing? Sure. Well, it's been interesting because uh, one of the areas where we actually heard uh, consistently uh, around the country, even though it was not one of our original charges by Congress to look at, was the lack of civic education uh, across school districts around the country. And, you know, you've heard the numbers, you know, less than 30 percent of the adult population can name all three branches of the U.S. government. And the thought is that civic education is the foundation upon which uh, a life of service is to be built, right? How can you serve your nation if you don't know the founding principles of what it means uh, to be a citizen? of the Republic. Uh, And so we will have recommendations uh, regarding a robust civic education uh, across the country, leaving it to states to determine what is uh, the right curricula, but trying to encourage uh, a return to a civic education uh, within our school system. Another thing that we heard specific probably to many of your listeners in the public service sector uh, is the difficulties um, with folks who want to come into federal government service with actually being able to apply for a job. And a lot of this goes back to the USA Jobs website. Um, You know, millennials, if it takes more than three or four clicks, they've tuned out. Uh, And if anybody's been to the USA Jobs website recently, it takes far too many clicks uh, to try to actually complete an application. So we are looking at ways to help uh, streamline the federal hiring process. Some of that will include um, a change, perhaps, to some of the benefit packages, uh, a more flexible benefit package. Some of it will look at hiring preferences. 
uh, and how folks actually apply for jobs and how they are ranked uh, for those prospective jobs, uh, ways to have it easier for those in federal government service to move between departments or between jobs. Um, so there are several things we are looking at in that regard. Uh, when it comes to national service, how can we create more national service opportunities so that those who want to serve, regardless of socioeconomic background, have an opportunity to serve? And certainly in the military sector, uh, which was our primary charge, an evaluation of the selective service system uh, and whether or not we still need it, and if so, what changes are necessary to make it more in line with the needs of a 21st century Department of Defense, uh, we will have a series of, of potential recommendations on, on how to make the selective service process uh, more modern. We're speaking with Joe Heck, chairman of the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service. Sounds like you've heard a lot and gotten a lot of comments. And do you get the sense from having participated in the hearings and earlier than that, the listening tours, that there's a real interest and enthusiasm for public service on the part of the American people? There certainly is. And uh, I think one of the most rewarding uh, series of meetings that we had um, was when we met with uh, middle school and high school students and talked to them about whether, whether or not they knew of service opportunities um, and once explained to them if they would have an interest in actually serving, whether it's a service project, a definitive service project, or perhaps a semester of service during high school or potentially a service year between high school and college or high school and starting a job. And almost universally, every one of them uh, that we spoke to would be very interested if the opportunity was presented. But also interesting was they said, but we want to do it on a voluntary basis. Just don't tell us we have to do it. Right? If you give us the opportunity, we will probably take that opportunity. But don't tell us we have to take the opportunity. And getting back to the question of selective service, I guess people probably don't often realize or a lot of people don't realize that we still have a selective service system, even though we don't have a draft and they're not really one and the same thing. What could happen with selective service? Because I don't think there's much will anywhere in any quarter at this point for a draft. Yeah, great question. And so you are exactly right. Too many people actually conflate the selective service system with a draft and do not recognize or understand that they are two very distinct and separate processes. The selective service system uh, being that system by which there is a readily available pool of individuals identified in the event Congress would pass a law and the president would sign the bill in order to enact a draft. And one of the things uh, that we had found in traveling around the country, again, talking to those uh, primarily young men between the ages of 18 and 21 about whether or not they even remember registering uh, for the draft as required by law, many of them don't realize that they've actually registered. And that's primarily due to the processes put in place to try to increase compliance, which made registration for the selective service kind of a passive process or a secondary process. You go to get your driver's license, you check a box, and you are registered with the selective service system. Uh, you're filling out your federal financial aid form online. Uh, if you had checked the box that you are mail, it will ask you if you are registered with the selective service system. If you are not and you check no, it directs you over to that website in order to register so that you would be eligible for federal financial aid. And, and that's part of the issue that we think has led to an increasing disconnect between the American people uh, and the military, the, the so-called civ-mil divide. And so what we would like to do, and one of the things that we are looking at is how do we 
um, return the solemnity to the process of an individual who's registering with the Selective Service so they actually realize what it is that they are signing up for, that they are signing up to be available uh, to defend this nation's interests at home or abroad and the risks that they are putting themselves potentially out to in order to do that. So that, that's one area uh, that we are looking at. Another is how can we perhaps identify critical skills uh, that are necessary to the Department of Defense in a time of crisis? Right? Can we have a more focused uh, draft if necessary? Right? There is a separate healthcare professional delivery system that was developed by the Selective Service System in the event that we would need to bring in healthcare providers. It's a plan that has never been used, but we had looked at it and said, well, what if we need more cyber warriors? Uh, what if we need some other critical skill other than healthcare professionals, short of having to go to a full draft uh, where we need to mobilize those um, to uh, you know, fill combat and combat support positions? And so we're looking at issues like that. And I think one of the other issues that is critically important uh, that we hope to define is that the selective service system is not just for combat replacements, uh, which unfortunately is what we believe has been viewed, how the general public has viewed uh, the selective service system. But really the system is to ensure that there is a pool of ready manpower uh, or person power, uh, regardless of the need of the Department of Defense, not just for combat replacements. A lot to uh, digest here after having done this for as long as you have been on this project. Are you optimistic about the sense of public service and civic duty that people have? We are. Again, no matter where we've traveled, there are incredible Americans doing great things in the service sector, whether it's military, national, or public service, all across this country. Uh, Our concern and what we have found is that there are more that want to uh, if they have uh, awareness uh, and access. Uh, and so that is really where we are trying to focus our efforts. It's, you can't volunteer for something if you don't know it exists. So we have to be able to increase awareness to the population. Uh, once we increase that awareness, there has to be a, a way to access uh, that opportunity. And we want to make sure that individuals have an, a service opportunity that is meaningful to them. Because if they have a valued, meaningful experience the first time, odds are they will continue to serve throughout their lifetime. And that is our goal, that every American is inspired and eager to serve. Joe Heck is chairman of the National Commission on Military, National and Public Service. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. And we'll post that website and let people know again online at federalnewsnetwork.com that December 31st is the deadline. We'll post this interview along with that link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte. But for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.